You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Welcome back to TechNest, and I've got a really cool interview for you today. We're talking about elevators and escalators. Now, before you tune out, I know that that doesn't sound all that exciting, but there's a lot here that owners, operators, and uh, property managers actually could really benefit from understanding and learning more about. I've got Ashley Wilson. She's the CEO and co-founder of a company called AuditMate. They launched early in the pandemic and they have built a business that helps uh, the owner operators and managers get what they're paying for in their elevator service contracts. Now, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to the tunes of hundreds of thousands of dollars that uh, you might not be receiving in maintenance over the course of 10, 15, 20 years. And this is real money and can add up to real money. And what's really brilliant, I think, is how both Ashley has built the business, the product, uh, and really has gone about growing this in such a short period of time. You know, she had an early start in the elevator industry. It's a very small and tight-knit industry and saw a need for bringing transparency to owner-operators and managers by leveraging technology. And we get into the details of what that sounds like, what that looks like, you know, and how much real money this is going to be putting back into the pockets of owners and operators and or ensuring that they get the maintenance that they've been contracted for with their elevators. So I'm sure this is going to be a little bit of an angle of increasing yield that you haven't heard yet, but is pretty cool. So stick around. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Ashley, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited for our conversation today, um, as I already shared some brief stories with you prior to of what I know about elevators and getting stuck with them. Actually, I've been stuck in elevators twice. Um, I only shared once. Uh, But before we go into all that, I'd love to kick it off proper. Please let everyone know who you are and what you do. I am Ashley Wilson. I'm the founder and CEO of AuditMate. We are the first ever elevator and escalator auditing and management software. So we're on a mission to empower building owners and managers with data-driven maintenance auditing products. So we're more on managing the vendor than actually like an IOT product um, so that they can get everything that they're paying for. I, I love it. So, I mean, there, there's so many different uh, things there. First off, please get the city of Washington, D.C. as a client. Um, the escalators leaving the, ele- you know, the, the, the subway there, um, you know, for anyone who's ever worked in, in around the Capitol, they are very tall and they are out every other day. Um, but walk me through a little bit here, you know, other than, you know, maybe being stuck in an elevator or seeing something not working, how in the world do you end up building a SaaS business around elevators and escalators? Well, it started with good old nepotism. 
but no so i joined i joined the the industry after my stepfather um which most elevator folks have like a dad or an uncle in the business and especially i mean especially being a female in the industry you like walk into a room and it's like who's your dad and they don't even know anything about you but it's just assumed that your dad's in the industry is how how niche the elevator industry is I joined in my early 20s, um, worked for one of the major elevator companies. Um, there's four that own 80% of the market share globally. Um, they're all old and slow and um, not the humans. The companies. The companies, <laughs> the companies, yeah. They're, they're dinosaurs. Um, they do a lot innovating-wise on the, on the elevator side. Um, but what I noticed in the industry is Customers didn't understand their contracts, and rightfully so, because these contracts are vague and confusing. Uh, they're built to protect the elevator company, not to protect the client. And second to that, I noticed that clients weren't getting everything they were paying for. And in fact, um, clients are receiving about 50% of the elevator services that they pay for. So you mix a confusing contract, well, how are they supposed to know everything they're supposed to get when... They don't even know what the contract is saying, right? And right. so um, I couldn't stand it anymore. I'm kind of one of those, like, my values and morals are almost debilitating at times. And so I left, and here's Audit Me. I, I love it. Um, there, there's so many ways I want to I want to unpack that a little bit here. Um, so so you, you talk about in the contract, and we'll start there because it seems like this is – this is really at the core, and then I want to get into the product of like what it does and how it ties in, and really the tech behind it. So the, the contract itself is with the building owner, the manager of the building, or both. We primarily contract with the owner, but work with the property manager. Got it. And and they the the and the, and the property manager though then is the one who contracts say the the elevator maintenance crew to to take care of that. So then there's a, you know there's a little bit of a you're helping them manage that company even though they are the manager you're helping manage that company as well alongside to get what they they need to get out of that is that correct That's correct That's correct Got it Okay and then so now this is a show about prop tech and so we're talking about technology and real estate and obviously elevators are in buildings but walk me through and really everyone else as well how does this play into the bigger picture because what I'm hearing is, okay, cool. So I, I get what I want, right? I, I make sure the elevator is clean. It gets the proper grease. It has less downtime. What are the implications of all of that? Yeah. Right off the bat, lack of proper maintenance is, could reduce your equipment lifespan by 50%. So that's huge, right? When you're paying on average $400,000 for an elevator modernization every 30 years, and then you're doing it every 15 years, that's massive costs, right? Second, elevator contractors are one of the highest trade union rates. So here in San Francisco, you can pay about $570 an hour. And that is double time on Sunday. So if you have a tenant drop keys in the pit on a Sunday, you're paying travel time and on-site time. It'll generally be around $3,000 for them to come out. <laughs> Wild expensive. Wow. So these service contracts are supposed to be full maintenance contracts, right? They're supposed to cover maintenance and also major and minor repairs. Well, most folks don't know the difference between a door operator and a door clutch or a door restrictor. So if you don't know the difference between these parts, how do you know whether they're covered or not? Right. 
the biggest concern for a property manager is, hey, my tenants are mad. This, this elevator's not running. So then you get a proposal. Okay, is it covered? Is it not covered? Don't really know. And then second to that, could this have been prevented if proper maintenance was done? We also don't know because we're not tracking the maintenance. So what AuditMate does is we are ensuring first off that the client is getting the maintenance that they need to get. Um, and we're auditing that for accuracy. On an audit make contract, if the vendor doesn't do their job, we get you your money back, which is great. And then second, we're gonna audit all invoices and all proposals. We find that invoices are inaccurate 30% of the time and proposals are inaccurate like 80% of the time. Wow. At $500 an hour, that is a lot of money. Yeah. Owners really don't know, and property managers don't know. Like, one of the biggest things that I was trying to solve in the beginning when I left one of the major companies was like, how are people not mad? How are people not so mad? Like, you should be rioting in the streets. This is a $100 billion industry, and nobody's mad. Nobody knew. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have never assumed. Nobody I would, knew. You just paid. I mean, if, if elevator breaks every 15 years, I suppose I would have assumed, because I don't know much about elevators and I, and there's almost like a, a there's a disconnect of motivations here as a property manager why am i directly motivated as the person who's re responsible to manage the contract to ensure i get it because it, it doesn't impact my day-to-day -day. and as far as i know they just get replaced every 15 years it's so so there how are you helping manage that because it sounds like like even if you're working with the property manager, the motivation is probably going to come from the owner or operator who needs to understand the difference here. So what are you doing to bridge that gap here to align the motivations? Yep. So we do a free contract analysis. So what we do is we do a full legal review of the terms and conditions of the contract. And then we pull 12 months data and we actually tell the property manager and the owner what percentage of their contract they're receiving. And if they were on an audit make contract, how much money they would have gotten back in liquidated damages. And then we'll also review wow. any invoices and proposals that they send forward. And that usually paints the picture for us. Because <laughs> like I said, on average, clients are getting about 50%. So when you show an owner, hey, you spent $100,000 last year and you only got 50% of what you were paying for and you got billed over and above the contract X amount that shouldn't have been billed, it becomes a no-brainer. <laughs> wow, are you able to calculate, you know, the amount of like dollars that you have you refund on an, on an average basis to owner operators, or is there? Do you know what that looks like? Because it sounds like you're increasing the yield, and especially right now where everyone is talking about and you know the, the conversations, especially anyone who's locked in anything uh, with the idea of exiting for the next few years, may be a challenge. Uh, they're gonna have to reevaluate. May hold longer. And to get that yield, it can't just come from rent increases forever. We have, you know, you have to find other places. Yeah. So I don't have a dollar value number, but our largest client last year, we increased maintenance by 29%. We decreased costs by 27%. Wow. And, and these are high rise buildings. These are condo buildings, apartments. Do you get into other asset types as well, or are they mostly residential? Yeah, no, we manage hospitals, retail, office, and residential mostly right now. Got it. Now, when I was taking a look at the 
the, the product on the site and obviously I don't have an audit mate account, but when I do decide to build an elevator in my house here in South Dakota, I'll give you a call. Um, but can you walk me through like the different types of services or, or features that, you know, you really offer across the board that can paint the picture of the full product suite? Yeah. So we offer really two product lines. The first is safe. That's our specifications and field evaluations. This will be closer to what a traditional consultant provides. So we do on-site physical surveys. We write modernization specifications and bid them out. Um, and then we write maintenance contracts that protect the ownership and um, we'll do the RFP process. We're in the process actually very soon of releasing um, the fully automated RFP process, which is super exciting. Um, the, the big difference in our agreements is they are built to be monitored and enforced using technology. So we have data transparency clauses that the elevator vendor is required to provide us data in a certain format, what tasking they're doing, how long they're on site. So generally a maintenance contract will say, you need to be here monthly. On an automate contract, it says, you need to service each piece of equipment monthly for one hour and do these tasks and provide us timestamps. And so that's how we're really empowering our software to work so much better. We can manage any contract on our software, but when you're on an automate contract, they're required to provide us the data points that we need. And so then is the, is, is the contractor actually like, they're actually inputting into then the automate app uh, or interface to get that data back to the, the management company and you guys, how does that work? We pull it from their system, actually. Smart. So they already have uh, softwares and there's only, you said there's only four companies you're basically working with here. So you're able to tool to what they're already using. And then based on how they maintain their records of maintenance, then you have a dynamic feed back to the customer because the elevator company isn't innovating for that. The PMCs are not innovating for that. So, and that's where you guys have changed the game. Yeah, so the elevator company is is definitely trying to innovate for that um, for with different intention, right? Um, they're looking at like service bots that are connected to the elevator or their own IoT products or or hooking into building management systems or work, work systems. Um, and we've kind of just like slid in there for that regard. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we're, we're getting them to change what data they're displaying for sure. When you have a, a large owner that says, hey, we want this data point, it's easier to get the vendor to agree to it, right? So we're either using um, API directly from the vendor or we're also using RPA um, to go in and pull directly from um, the vendor's online portal. Now, I, I know you shared a little bit about your background coming kind of, you know, you came a little bit through your family, through the industry, but are you also, are you a technical co-founder or did you have to and, and learn all this, these skills or did you have to find a technical co-founder to piece this together? Because that's another component missing here that I'd love to get some light shed on. I started as a non-technical founder. <laughs> But I think I think you figure it out when you when you're in the industry, I guess, like, you know, we started I do have a technical founder, um, co-founder as well, but I don't write code. 
And I think you work with consultants enough or hire engineers enough that then you get frustrated and you're like, screw it, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to figure this out because I don't want to wait any longer. Um, <laughs> so I still don't write code, but I um, am building architecture and diagramming out what I want and mapping out the data and doing a lot of no code building. Yeah. That's awesome. I'd love to jump into sales and marketing here for a, a bit. Um, this is something that, you know, I my day job, I work in marketing and uh, oftentimes describe myself as a salesperson kind of stuck in a marketing role. I genuinely, in all honesty, would be totally clueless on how do I get people excited about this? Like that would be something that would would really frustrate me. So I'd love to hear from you. How did you go about approaching this is what we're going to name it. This is how we're going to communicate what this is because you're defining a category as you create it. Uh, and then how's that been working for you? Yeah, I agree. The, you know, the, my initial thing was like, this is not a sexy tech product. <laughs> like, what do, what, do we, what do we do? Totally. <laughs> um, and so really, I hired a branding company really early on because if you would have seen my co-founder and I go to a bar the night after we were like, we're doing this. And people were like, great, what is it? And we were like, oh, I don't even know how, but, mm, <laughs> right? I was like, just look like blubbering <laughs> idiots, right? It's like, it took me 50 words to even get out what we did. And so I worked with a branding company, um, House of Who in Berkeley here in California that are wonderful. Um, just to start to really simplify our messaging. Because one of the biggest things that bugged me about the elevator industry is speaking in riddles and acronyms and no one knows what you're talking about. Mm. And so right off the bat, it was elevator contracts are confusing. It's them, not you. And I was like, yes, right? And so this brand started to come to life of using just really simple language and, and learning to explain things in like, you don't have to understand elevators. You, in, in fact, we know that's not your job. Let us do it for you, right? Like we speak elevator, but we work for you. Yeah. And so learning to like adapt this language into something that makes sense. Because in my mind, when people don't understand something, they're going to shy away from it, even if it helps them. Like anything that makes me feel dumb, I probably don't want to talk about, right? Like, so that's really been our messaging is just like everybody should understand this. Um, and we only get complex when other people want to get complex. Because at the end of the day, this is really about we're auditing your contract to ensure that you get 100% of what you're paying for and not paying more than you should. Yeah. Simple. Yeah, I love it. And and you don't have to wait for, you know, the, 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 so your customers like the, the managers, you don't have to wait for the renewal of their, say, maintenance contract. They can work with you at any point. But I am curious what that sales cycle looks like and, you know, maybe even how long it takes to, you know, from the point of, hey, this is a free, I think you mentioned like a contract analysis uh, up to the point of where they say, yeah, let's let's go ahead and move forward. Yeah, sales cycle, whoo, hospitals, national retail accounts, you're talking nine, nine to 12 months, probably. Office buildings can be a little quicker, depending. So one way that we slid in actually, like COVID, COVID winter, luckily, was 
a lot of office buildings started wanting uh, air sanitization units in their elevators. So we approached them saying, hey, mm-hmm. don't go out and just pay for mm-hmm. this. Let's include it in an audit made RFP. We'll get the vendor to throw it in at a discounted rate. And the savings from the ASU will pay for AuditMate for the first year. So let us do the work up front. We'll use this major repair to wow. cover the cost of AuditMate. And then you get to try us for a year for free. And so we're, we're like embedding in their, in their processes. So trying to find ways to make it a net neutral that they don't have to pay for AuditMate out of pocket. Because uh, people wrapping their head around why they have to pay money to get someone to do what they're supposed to be doing legally is can be a, a brain bender for folks. <laughs> you know, it almost makes me think of Chicago. No, it does make me think of Chicago, not almost. Um, and I don't know how familiar you are with the city or not, but they, they have pretty high property taxes. But it seems like it's meant just to prop up one industry, which is the property tax lawyer's who then fight on your behalf to reduce the property taxes and get a commission off it. And it's just like, and it's such a known thing that there's these lawyers everywhere. And I'd never seen it. At, I'd heard of it, but I'd never seen it at that level ever. And I've never seen it anywhere else except for Chicago. So it, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing, but I hear what you're saying. Like, why should I pay you a dollar to make sure that someone was doing the thing I already paid them to do? But the reality is because you don't you're not getting it done or it may not be getting done what happens in this instance if if they are what if they're getting 100 percent of the contract does that happen and how i say great yeah yeah we're really honest if folks don't need us right but there's more than one reason to need us and it's not just around savings because if you're actually managing your vendor to get 100 percent of what you're paying for you're probably spending a lot of time doing it and so we can take that time Got management it. part for them. But if they're like, nope, this, we don't have to do anything and our vendor just does their job, I'll, I'll be like, great. There you go. Tell me if you need me. Yeah, that, that's probably a great way to build up nice referrals, which obviously real estate is a very small community. No matter how many people you think is in it, it's a very small community. Um, uh, you, you touched on something about you know doing business during the pandemic. Um, so you guys launched during the pandemic, right? We were supposed to launch beta in March of 2020. <laughs> so I, well, walk me through what that was like, because in a, in a business, especially in an industry where like, you know, we can go to an event, we can meet 50 people, shake a whole bunch of hands, go out to drinks, like really do a lot of business face to face. That was shut down pretty hardcore for several, you know, for, for a solid year, um, and so in a business where trust is everything, how did you guys navigate that coming in as a totally new product that no one even heard of and claiming it was going to do what it can do to, to help, you know, operators and managers? Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. It was definitely tough. Um, I think we chose the right verticals, right? We were like, retail is running around like a chicken like their head cut off right residential has more people in their building than they're used to all the time right so those property managers were also just spent whereas mm-hmm. office those property managers finally had time oh interesting right 
and they were looking for savings because their buildings were empty. But they still had, I mean, a lot of them still had jobs. Right, right. Um, and so that's where we went office only, really at that point, became our main focus. Um, and then leveraging the cheerleaders that we had and we're like, please let me give you free service <laughs> and then tell your friends. Yeah. Um, and we just stopped trying anything else. We didn't even attempt to do retail or residential for a while. Yeah. So, so there was a lot of, uh, you, you were able to get that traction in one particular area, almost the, uh, uh, Jim Collins hedgehog concept. Are you familiar? Mm-mm. It's, it's uh, pretty boring. Uh, I forget. I think it's this good, great book where like, you know, the fox has many tactics to catch the hedgehog, but the hedgehog does one thing and does one thing only and it just curls up into a little spiky ball, you know, and you can get you can get far doing that. Uh, but it sounds like that was really to your advantage early on because you had really one vertical. Um, but now, you know, as we're things are opening up and we're back in person in many areas, um, how has that changed the approach of your business and also, you know, across the verticals where are you seeing the growth in terms of uh, adoption from different industry or different segments of the industry? Yeah, we're we're really playing with in residential right now. Has been um, has been it's been a nice change of pace. It's also been really interesting, right? Because with savings and office with the triple net, that goes back to the tenants. With residential, it does not go back to the tenants. They oh. they save all that money. Second to that, the residential property managers are generally not as experienced as your office property managers. Not always, but your on-site personnel, the folks that mm-hmm. the folks that the mechanic would check in and check out with, is generally not your like yep. really seasoned JLL high-rise type property manager, right? And so. It's been interesting to talk to some of these national residential groups and they're like, we don't have a centralized contract or we don't know all the elevators in our portfolio or the people that lease up the buildings are the ones that are signing the initial elevator contracts who is not going to be the long-term property manager, (laughs) right? And so it's like shifted all of these hands and so where we come in is we'll we'll do a sampling from around the country or country or different vendors and then we'll put together a national strategy for them and say hey we'll put this under one umbrella wow. and we'll take the whole thing wow and that's kind of be a welcomed thing because then they have the same tech across their portfolio they can have actually compare different markets or different if they have if they contract different management companies in those different buildings which ones are doing a better job or if different vendors are doing better than others, should they give more business to other vendors? So now you actually have comparable, sh- you know, shopping ability for your elevator vendor to begin with. Whereas previously you, I, I, I have to guess the retention of contracts for elevator vendors has got to be ridiculous because who switches that? Yeah. So who switches that? And those elevator contracts are so sticky, right? So it's like, your contract is 60 months long and you can cancel no more than one no more than 90 no less than 120 by a certified mail with your firstborn child like they're really hard to cancel <laughs> really really hard to cancel and 
if your contract doesn't require specific maintenance, how do you how do you cite them for contract breach? They don't have to do anything under their contract. Right. So how can they breach their contract? So it, it, it can be right. it can be really tough, especially for someone that's managing multiple locations across the country, multiple expiration dates, multiple expiration clauses. It's it's a handful. Are there any markets that you're seeing um, in geographically? Are you seeing more or less adoption in any uh, geographic areas? Or is this kind of across the board depending on the company? No. I mean, we have more in California just because that's where we focused really early on. That's where I am. Um, but once the world mm-hmm. opened back up, no, we've been we've been popping up all over the place. Like we have employees in 14 different states and so we're we're really we're really all over the place. And how how many markets then are you is automate in, you know, servicing customers? We're all over the country. I think we're in like 20 states. Wow. So okay, so but, you're but really nothing's off limits. Are you able to then leverage some of that data? I mean, you have different you have different companies, right? So then you're aggregating some of that on the back end that can now the more customers you bring on, the better baseline and benchmarking data you're able to bring together, say this is what the industry looks like as a whole. And this is where you compare to everyone else that we've been able to collect on. How's that been a tool for you? And you know, what's the future or something like that? Because I imagine as the only, you're the only company that I know of in this space doing this, that really puts you in a really interesting position within the industry. Yeah, I'm happy to use the client's own data to help the client make decisions. Um, but I don't feel good about publishing information on a national level for vendors because it's so different by geography. So hmm. in the elevator industry, your local manager is, is running their own P&L and they're really like running their own little business, right? And so you can have Tissin as the best vendor in Houston and they hands down are fantastic, but they fall on their face in California, right? And so it, it's it's that we actually broke it up just recently. We changed our data architecture to um, separate the vendors by their locale because of that very reason. Mm. I was like, it doesn't make sense to look at it on a national level because it is so so different by, by vendor by city. Oh, interesting. That's not something I would have ever have uh, assumed, obviously. Uh, <laughs> so um, I am curious to hear, you know, even though you've, you've only been doing this for a few years, I'm sure there's probably been an experiment or a thought or theory along the way that turned out to be wildly wrong or maybe a failed experiment. Uh, maybe not, but I'm curious if you have any interesting stories that you'd be willing to share. Yeah. So I think I worked for Schindler and that was the only elevator company that I had worked for. And so I think there were some preconceived notions and like really f- deep-rooted beliefs on how each of the elevator companies operated. And, you know, who was the best, who wasn't, who was the most transparent and who wasn't. And I was really surprised once I got all of the vendors' data um in, you know, it's just different right? 
we all play games. It's just what games do we play and how, how are we, how are we manipulating things? And to see the way that the data was displayed to clients from each of the different vendors that told a story different than what, what the truth was. I feel a little weird saying that, but it, it just, it, it told a story to the client that when you don't have much elevator expertise, you would interpret it one way. When, when we flipped it around and showed it on our portal, it showed it a completely different way. And so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there's tasks, right? So it's like, you're going to clean the doors and then you're going to do this and then you're going to do that. It's all one visit though. It's one maintenance visit where you're doing five different tasks. There's one elevator company that logs that as five different maintenance visits. That's a lot of maintenance visits. So it, when you pull your number of maintenance visits per right. year, it's five, not one. And so things like that, that I had to change our software to roll those up. Yes, it's five tasks and you get credit for all five tasks and that's fantastic. But when you show a five to a client, that paints a much different picture than I was there from twelve thirty to 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 one. Yeah, no, that that and that makes a, a ton of sense. I appreciate you sharing that insight. Um, I, I think you had said, uh, and maybe you didn't, but I, I'm I'm curious how you would, uh, in kind of thinking through like the broader market here, what's the addressable market for you? What what does this look like? How big is this opportunity? Because I, I just am just thinking about Chicago. You know, for me alone, where I was recently in New York, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how to wrap my head around everything that is in New York. Like, how do you even summarize what what the opportunity here is? Yeah, so globally, it's a over a hundred billion dollar a year industry, um, but here in the U.S., we're looking at one point one million elevators and escalators. Wow. Yeah. And that's in commercial buildings, residential mm-hmm. malls, hospitals. Correct. Correct. Yep. So it's it's math. Wow, I mean that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, I I think it it makes it makes a lot of sense to me, and I can see why um, there's probably a, a good amount uh, of potential referral for something like this because once someone sees it and understands, um, this will change how I'm looking at elevators, mm-hmm. truthfully, uh, and and thinking about this from now on, especially in the buildings where I knew that elevator wasn't gonna work, and now I'm gonna ask. Is it because they haven't been maintaining this thing? Um, but I'll never be moving back to that building again. Um, I want to move into the bottom of our show here. Uh, we've got uh, two remaining segments. Uh, this ne- next session is called For the Future. So For the Future is where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Ashley, are you ready to play? Yes. All right, let's do this. Question number one, what does AuditMate look like one year from now? One year from now, we will have five times our business and preparing for Series A. Love it. Question number two, will the number of elevator companies shrink, grow, or stay the same over the next 10 years and why? I think it will grow. Um, There is actually a tech company in they started in Paris 
that they're a tech service company, an elevator company, and they're now in three different countries and they're thinking of coming to the U.S. It would be interesting to see if they could actually knock knock into that, um, you know, we call it the big four. So let's see. All right. Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? The lack of transparency, honestly. Um, just not giving the full story to everything that's happening um, and or trying to paint a different picture. Yeah. Last one here. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I think that there is still very much um, an old school mentality to real estate, right? It's still very much relationships based and needing to get in with the right person in order to be credible and with the influence of tech and, and really prop tech being fully accepted and not just like this department that sits in, in the left wing. <laughs> I think that, that new folks will be able to create their own credibility instead of having to um, build it through someone else. Yeah, totally. For what it's worth, like in, in my experience, I think that, at least the prop tech community side of real estate tends to be a little bit more forth accepting of new faces and ideas, which is, you know, how that portion of the real estate uh, industry is, is built and grown. It's from challenging the status quo and not accepting just because the way it's done is truly the, the best uh, or, you know, the most transparent or most, uh, you know, affordable. So, uh, I kind of stand with that. Uh, this uh, last section here, uh, these are three questions that are about you, so our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First one is, what are you reading? I am reading, oh my gosh, what is it called? I'm going to totally blank on the name, but my I'll tell you my new newest fascination has been um, how science is proving Eastern practices and like Buddhist principles and meditation. So this like cool mix of like Western medicine and research that's actually proving um, neurologically and biologically how Buddhist principles like doing charity or doing volunteer work, how that's lighting up the same pleasure sensors as like when we receive a gift and then also um, meditation and mm. things like that. So I've been on this like long line uh, i think i'm on like the third book right now of that and just been nerding out on it very cool but i don't remember the book name that's okay <laughs> i don't th I, I didn't tell you in advance to come with uh with the uh, with book recommendations ready to, to fire here so that's on me uh, question number two who are you learning from every one so i am a firm believer that anything that makes me uncomfortable is a learning opportunity for me Anything that makes me defensive, especially when it makes me defensive, is a learning opportunity for me. So, you know, I'm just right now, I pay really close attention to what makes me like knee jerk mm. um, and then put it in my pocket and then go back and, and learn from it. Love that. 
Last one here. What inspires you? Anyone doing anything that requires bravery and vulnerability and is willing to stand apart from the pack and be different and say, this doesn't feel good and I'm not doing it anymore. And even if I have to stand here alone, I will because the enough is enough and I'm done. And this really cool thing happens that you notice other people starting to like slowly raise their hand and be like, hey, it doesn't feel good for me either. Can I join you? Hmm. But that first person, they got to be alone for a minute. And it's, it's, um, it's really cool to witness. Yeah. I appreciate that illustration. Um, Ashley, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I have learned quite a bit more. Um, I'm actually like, I'm trying to stay focused here, but I'm trying to think of like, this seems like a really big market. Um, what, what are the other opportunities <laughs> around this thing that no one else seems to be putting in the limelight? Um, but for our listeners who may want to get in touch with you or learn more about Automate, what are the best ways to do that? How, how can I do that? Uh, most active on LinkedIn. Uh, also on Twitter at Elevator Dad. Um, but most most active on LinkedIn. And Automate.com, of course. Oh, there we go. And I'll have all the links uh, in the show notes as well. So it'll be easy to find those. But um, really appreciate your, your time here. And uh, at the next Cree Tech, which I'll be at the New York one this year again this year. Uh, if you're, you're headed there. Yeah. So we'd love to catch up be. in person this year. Uh, but thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to be keeping watch from uh, a distance here and, and rooting for you guys on the when you're getting ready for your Series A. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter, head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right into your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.